podcast ain't played nobody, your college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, this is Bill Connolly again. We are once again without Stephen Godfrey for the last week, for the final week. He should be back. He sounds like he's nice and bored in Nashville and maybe becoming a hockey blogger if Twitter is any indication. But um, I, I had an opportunity to bring in a couple of fun uh, guest hosts here. Last week we talked to Stephen Gaither about all things HBCU, and the, the feedback to that was really good, and I appreciate it. Uh, that's a very... PAPN level topic when it comes to history and the mid major dome and everything else. It's a really fun topic, and I thought the response was awesome. This week, uh, we're going in a different direction entirely. I, I thought it would be a lot of fun to have maybe the first coach I exchanged emails with, uh, what, five years ago or something. I can't remember for sure, but it's quite possible, Manny Diaz, you were the first coach that I have uh, interacted with on any major level. Uh, so thanks, thanks for responding to emails way back then, and and thanks for coming on today. God, Bill, I can't believe you kiss and tell. You know, I know, I mean, but uh, <laughs> I I appreciate the the invite and hope I can be a, a suitable replacement for uh, for today's show. <laughs> well, he, I think Godfrey's uh, taller than than either one of us, but otherwise, I think you'll do just fine. Um, yeah, I was trying to think. So this was probably 2011 ish, maybe 2012, and. Bruce Feldman put out a piece on ESPN.com about he, he had I think you were at Texas at that point and he was talking about you know uh, this up and coming defensive coordinator who was using fancy metrics to um, to measure success and whatnot and uh, you know at that point I think in my it, you know I, I was at a point where I, I didn't really feel the need to talk to coaches or this is what I was telling myself like I haven't completely developed my own voice I haven't figured out quite everything that I want to figure out so there's really no need to talk to coaches about stuff uh, that was uh, revealed to be a complete and total lie on my part when in the Feldman piece you referenced something uh, from football study hall uh, points per play and within like 30 seconds I was on the UT directory looking for an email address so that pretty much revealed that, that there was no such there were no standards or, or any sort of principles involved it was just that no coaches would talk to me therefore I didn't feel the need to talk to coaches well I think it's like I think we everyone that's in this profession went through the same thing where you, you realize <laughs> in this game you don't know what you don't know until you know it and and that's, I think, the reason why one of the reasons why we all love this sport is that there's just so much going on um, beneath the surface. And and, <laughs> and I think that's the fun part because, you know, you, you think you have an idea of what you see and, and it's just the tip of the iceberg and, and you keep kind of going down and, it, and you realize it it, 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 go, it goes way down there. So whether you realize it or not, you have been referenced on this piece a couple of times because I find myself referring to a specific line that you had a couple of years ago when we talked um, and I end up kind of I don't know it kind of it clarified a lot of things to me and that is when you said in an interview we did that let's see 90% of America runs 60% of the same plays there's such a thing as a quote-unquote college football offense and so I thought it'd be interesting since I have referenced that on PAPM before I thought it'd be interesting to talk to you about that and kind of open things up with that and that what is a college football offense in 2017 well it, it that's a fascinating question I, I think part of the reason why that is is the the way the technology has changed uh, over the last ten years? Um, we all have access to each other's, you know, film so much easier. You 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 could find a way ten fifteen years ago, but things were much more uh, difficult. Um, so the the game is is adapting. It, it appears to be at, at a much higher level. When someone sees something that someone is doing 
um, that 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 gets around and it and it shows up uh, all across the country very quickly. You know, I mean, to me, the the offense at its most simple core is about attacking space, right? And you, and you either you try to attack space with with numbers or you try to get one of your numbers that's better than one of the defense's numbers in, to create a mismatch. You either try to put somebody in space where there's no one in the space or you try to, you know, if, if it's a one-on-one, you want to win the one-on-one with, with who your one is versus their who their <laughs> one is. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing that you're seeing now is, is the evolution of the quote-unquote spread offense, which, as you know, is the most probably overused term ever. But, <laughs> but, but the, the, you know, how we've, you know, you're seeing that week in and week out, everybody's really finding the run pass options, um, a way to take a lot of times to take the onus off of the play caller to be in the correct play and to turn the, to turn the quarterback into a point guard where, where yeah. he has, you know, the different options. We, we can run pick and roll three straight times. And one time might be a layup. One time might be a three pointer. One time might be drill drive to the basket. So, um, I think that's, I think it's becoming more and more common. Certainly, there's there's teams that, that that have different styles, and that's why it's, I still think college ball is a great sport because there's a lot of ways to win, and you still have to be fully committed to your way. You you can't just pick the top ten offenses on you know and 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 try to take ten percent of what they do and, and turn that into an offense that that's destined for failure. Um, but at the same time, I think people are you know have found some things that are working and and, and want to emulate that. I think um, one of the I, I can't a couple months ago I talked to a coach uh, from a pretty successful team and he was talking about like uh, because they have they have more interns now they have more analysts they have more uh, man hours basically and so one of the things they were thinking about trying to do with that time is basically I, I don't know if scout is the right word but chart a lot of top teams you know a just in case you end up playing them down the line but then also just to get a read on what uh, on kind of what we're talking about on the, on the, on trends and what other team, what other really good teams are doing uh, in case they find something that works for that. I think that's kind of it. That's not something I'd really thought about when it comes to, you know, adding the 10th full-time assistant, adding analysts and all that is, you know, just let's start scouting all of college football and not just our opponents. But I mean, I guess it makes sense if you've got the hours to do so. Well, yeah. And if you got these, you know, some of these staffs where there's, you know, an endless supply of, of personnel, <laughs> Um, they got to have something to do, but, but, but again, it's, it's so funny. I mean, I'm trying to remember when it changed, but it, it can't be just in the last 10 years, you know, we would, you know, you would play a game and then you would put your game on, on a tape and you would have to right. send your tape either a lot of times through a, an airline courier service to the other school, you know, a GA may have to go drive to the airport or, the, or your film guy to go pick the tape up, drive it back. It was very hard to get someone else's tape. You'd have a bowl opponent. So you might send them the whole season. They would send you their whole season, and again, that would be a that would be a container of of, of tapes, and, and what the tape version was going all the way back to film changed as technology changed from VHS to DV cam and things and so on and so forth. Now, everybody in college football is connected electronically, and so you can send you know we we we, we you know the, the giant cloud in the sky we can we can put film up there and and stay and, and send that along. Conferences have different agreements where everybody you know sort of like the NFL does. You know, in certain conferences, everybody will share each other's film regardless of whether you're an opponent or not. So um, it is certainly a lot easier for the curious minds to study what um, other successful people are doing. And what is the major difference? Um, I mean, you were uh, at Louisiana Tech in, what, 2014, right? So not not that long ago. 
what what was the the major difference from a scouting t- and a technology standpoint between somebody? I mean, Louisiana Tech's not a small school, but they are Group of Five versus Power Five. Uh, what what were some of the biggest differences once you got to the SEC and the ACC? What you know the the biggest changes in terms of what you had uh, in capability? Yeah, I, I think for the most part, f- from the actual technology standpoint, mostly everybody is is on one or two of the the computer video services editing services um i think the biggest thing is just going to be the manpower you know certainly everybody's got a budget and the budget can only go so far so we're like you know and it's still a story obviously right now in contra balls what should should you know should there be a cap on the number what is the appropriate number um but but at at schools like louisiana tech you're gonna have to make you know you're you're have to do more with less people and 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 that's okay too because you know football has played a long time um before everybody had these giant staffs and, and, and there, there may be a point of diminishing returns. So um, everybody has to, you know, it's, it's in a, in a way it's a great experience. That's why those jobs are great. They're, they're great jobs. They're great jobs to learn at because um, you know, people have to wear a lot of different hats and, 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 and cover a lot of bases. And, and as we, we saw there, I mean, they're Louisiana tech that year and every year there's a few in the top 10, 15, 20 of my rankings and whatever else that, you know, there are always schools figuring out how to put a top level defense on the field or offense without P five resources. And, um, you know, that's, I, I, I mean, I guess it goes, I guess, you know, really uh, what I always say about like team sports in general and, and, uh, you know, success in team sports is that there are three different, you know, silos for it. There's the acquisition talent acquisition, there's the development portion, and then there's the deployment portion portion, and we talk a lot about the, the deployment part. That's the, you know, every offensive coordinator sucks because their play calling stinks and all that. Well, that's that's one little piece of coaching. Um, and, and the developmental side of things, I think, is very, very untapped when it comes to, uh, to well, when it comes to, to, to coaches figuring out how, how best to, to, to develop players. It seems like there's a lot of different ways to go about that. And, and even go back to your first point in terms of talent acquisition, There's there are more good players out there than – at times we'd like to believe there's certainly more good coaches out there than at times uh, we'd like to believe not every there, there are there are a bunch of good coaches in the southeastern conference and in the acc and and big 10 big 12 and, and pac 12 but there's a lot of good coaches that are not in those conferences a lot of good coaches coaching at the fcs and and lower division levels um that you know maybe they're just waiting for their opportunity but they can they can still make great things happen where they are but i'm going to add another point too which i think is even more forgotten in terms of the deployment, we always think of deployment in, in in terms of the tactics, and that's what makes football so fun. Oh, they ran, they threw it, they blitzed, they didn't blitz, played this coverage, played that coverage. But it's it, the the real the secret sauce is the how. Um, how do they play? And 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 that a lot of times because literally when you're watching a sport, you're watching um, you're watching habits. And and I know it's the most over. It's kind of a you know a trendy word right now to the point where it's overused. But you're watching a team's culture. Um, and, and the culture, a lot of times, is what dictates their habits. And you hear it every year. Every time there's a new coaching change and, you know, the coach is talking about, hey, we're, you know, we're going to set the tone in the offseason. But there's, there is a lot of truth to that because how you play, um, you know, we play so few games. We play 12 times, basically, guaranteed, plus, you know, championships and playoffs and, and bowls. And so, you know, for those guys to perform at that level, it's going to come down to your, what your training is. So, so, for example, at Louisiana Tech, we had a fantastic strength coach named Kurt Hester. And, and and the way that those guys prepared in the weight room and trained and the toughness that, that was instilled every day in the program, certainly when you say, wow, you know, boy, all of your defensive tactics worked. Well, well they, they're going to work a lot better when the guys are trained um, to, 
to, to make them work. And I, so to really deployment comes down to two things. I would say it, it, it's, it's the what you're doing, which is fun to focus on. Oh, they ran a, you know, a, a fade route or it's the how you're doing it. And, and that comes down to your habits. Um, regarding the first point, do you think, uh, you know, is there, you know, with, with, especially with two, four, seven, um, has the recruiting market been saturated to the point where it's harder to find an advantage? It's harder to find an under the radar kid than it used to be. Or is that just, uh, you know, with two, four, seven, is it just, you know, the, 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 the ratings are at the top are a little more accurate, but you can still find the diamonds in the rough about the same. I think both can be true. I, there, there, I mean, there's no doubt it's harder to keep a secret in recruiting now than it was, not just because of the recruiting services, but just because of, of you know, the huddle which, where all the kids have their highlights on and, yeah. and the fact that they can really be their own broadcast network uh, via Twitter. So it is, it, is, it is much harder to go unfound. It's much harder to, to hide underneath the radar uh, because you can really present yourself in front of anybody uh, now through online um, that being said, I think the issue is with no one knows, you know, the NFL, they get, you know, look, look at what they get to do from the end of the season up until the draft. And if, and they get to pick them, they don't have to get them to pick us. And if, and if, and you know, they'll tell you if they get half of their draft class, right, that's usually a pretty successful draft class because you that's don't fair. know how someone's life is going to change when you hand them, you know, a contract with, with money. And, and, and we don't, we often don't know how people's lives are going to change when, when all of a sudden they, you know, 18 to 22 years older, it's, that's a, that's a different time in your life. And, and that's the harder part to predict. And if, if anybody could do it, they would, you know, they could write a book and become a zillionaire, but you know, how, how do, how do they handle the culture of being at college? Um, the lifestyle is a better word. I really want to say, how do they handle the lifestyle of being in college? Does it, does it distract them? You know, th- th- there's a million things that go into not just being, Hey, I've got this height, this weight, run this in the 40 play this well in high school that, that that does not always translate but sometimes it does uh you just you know what's what's the passion for the game you know there's just a lot of intangibles that really determine whether you know sometimes um why the quote-unquote higher rated players don't come off in college and and, and and on the flip side why some of the lower rated ones do and in the acc right now it seems like it's it's particularly interesting um you know we've talked a lot on here we talk a lot about just how you know, we'll get questions from readers about what is it going to take for school X to, uh, to rebound, to kind of turn things around. And basically uh, it's become kind of almost a cliche because we'll always just say, you know, make a great hire the end, you know, it's the, the, the ability for even conferences as, as a whole to make good hires. That's how you improve or, or, or get worse. That's how the PAC 12 suddenly got a lot better a few years ago when they started, you know, the, the lesser schools were getting Todd Graham and Richard Rodriguez, um, and, and so the overall product uh, uh, improved quite a bit. And now we're seeing the exact same thing with the ACC. Uh, we, were, we were picking up on that a, a year and a half ago when, when Bronco Mendenhall was suddenly you know, the lowest profile new head coach in the ACC and he had won a million games at BYU. Um, and then you had, you know, you had the, within the last few years, you had Rick, you had Petrino, you had, um, you know, Fuente, uh, Virginia Tech going out and landing uh, the biggest name mid-major coach at the time, Fuente, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I mean, I, <laughs> this isn't really, this is more of an observation than a question. I, I assume you would kind of uh, uh, agree to that. And what, what has it done for the ACC just in the last year and a half since you've been there? Uh, to see kind of a, what it seems like a rising profile for a lot of different teams at once. 
Well, yeah. Well, I wish it wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah, we, we, it'd be more fun if everybody else didn't know what they're doing. But, but yeah, I mean, even just even just first time through, and I, you know, and I spent a while in this league early in my career when I was at NC State, and and, and, and there was a similar there was a similar spike uh, well, about 15 years ago. You know, when um, when Friedgen really had it rolling at Maryland, and Al Groh was really getting Virginia going, and, and we were doing some good things at NC State, and you know. You know, we're, you know, again, same similar type things. You know, you'd have a really strong bowl season, and and uh, and, and and that's you, you can see the similar type thing going on right now. As you mentioned, there's a lot of good hires and 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 guys that know what they're doing, and 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 it's going to make this for certainly a, a very competitive conference. And then it comes down to the hardest part, which is is to be able to sustain the success. Um, it is it is it is much harder to sustain a level of success than it is to get there. And and I think the other funny thing to your point is. You know, when when you have the narrative of you know when is Team X going to achieve Team you know achieve whatever, right? Well, the second they achieve it, then then they really need to achieve something else. You know, right. there's always there's always another bar all the way up to winning a championship. And once you won one, you know, I remember it was a, you know when I was just starting and I was at FSU in '99 and we won the championship and it, it was like. I mean, it was I, like the next day's article was like, and how are the how are the Noles going to be in 2000? It's like, holy cow! <laughs> I mean, can we can we can we at least let the you know 24 hours go by before saying, well, what about next year? So, but that's just that's just really the reality. It's the way it is. Yeah, and that's um, I, I end up calling that Glenn Mason territory, where um, where their coach raises the bar but can't keep raising it, and suddenly the fans uh, act like he's failing by only having raised the bar and not uh, not raised it like eight times, uh, and and that's where. Well, I mean, that's that's where you run into trouble. If you start, um, you know, kind of dealing with fan pressure, you you make kind of hasty decisions sometimes, like like uh, firing Mason in that case. But you see it a lot. Um, you know, it, it becomes there's this other influence when it comes to hiring coaches. Sometimes, I guess maybe we're seeing a version of that in the SEC right now. Everybody, uh, the SEC is getting sabined uh, to the to a point where I guess the other day somebody. This might be right. Somebody pointed out that the, the right now the second most accomplished coach or the second most kind of known quantity solid coach in the SEC behind Saban is Dan Mullen now, um, which is no indictment of Mullen, really. It's just incredible to think about, you know, Florida kind of has an unproven entity at the moment, and LSU has a very unproven entity at the moment, and everybody seems to be um, kind of – yeah, well, uh, the way I was putting it last year when when Georgia got rid of Coach Richt was, you know, the, everybody's freaking out at the moment. Everybody, nobody can find the next Saban, and, and so they're starting to, to, to freak out about only having a good coach. But, uh, yeah, as yeah. things stand now, I guess that's not quite the case in the ACC yet where everybody's everybody's has still room to grow. They haven't all grown, and, and suddenly people are underachieving. Well, you know, everybody's trying now. Everybody really in college football is so much more competitive than it was 20 years ago in terms of if you look at, the number of schools that are really allocating resources in terms of facilities and and and, and salary stadiums, you know everybody's everybody's trying and and until we until we turn into little league, it, it is really hard for everyone to win, right? Because <laughs> that's the one thing we've still figured out that when someone plays, somebody's got to win. And someone's hell, we took ties away, right? Yeah. So, um, um, you know, so when you have a conference, you know, take take a look at like the you know everybody talking about the SEC West. You know, everybody's trying really, really hard to win, and somebody has no choice but to come in last place. So there's going to be a good team with uh, a staff of good coaches that are going to take up that spot every year. Um, the tricky part, I think, overall is it still comes back to if we played 82 games or 160 games or something like that, yeah. 16, I think 
I think you would see sometimes more clear pictures of 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 what's actually happening. I, I and and you can make an argument we don't even play twelve because there's probably a couple in there that you know it's probably not a fair fight, right, in one way yeah. or another. And so so you're really sometimes judging your entire uh, operation on on eight to ten games a season, and that and that uh, as we know that's that's sometimes not the greatest <laughs> way to evaluate people. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir on that one. That's always. Um... A constant in the fall is me getting yelled at because some eight and four team is in the top ten of my rankings. When um, and and that that answer because I mean I could I think in my first book I actually did this. I, so you could take like the basketball national champion and you could randomly select eight conference games and four non conference games from their schedule and create an eight and four season for for the quote unquote best team in college basketball. You could do that. Um, Meanwhile, for an, uh, an only decent college basketball team, one that uh, you know probably made the tournament but didn't do all that well in the tournament, you could easily create a 12 and 0 campaign based on you know just kind of random non-conference and conference and everything else. And, and I mean, I think everybody understands that, but they still, with football, where the stakes are so high and you only have 12 games or 10 or 12 really, we even if we understand that, we we don't want it to be the case, and so we. It, 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 it's still no matter despite our instincts we still end up kind of uh you know freaking out about small samples that we can't really control because somebody i mean that's great you know we could have gone 12 and 0 with a different schedule we still went seven and five and it wasn't a lot of fun therefore uh you know fire somebody i guess and because we totally love torturing ourselves we're the only sport at any level pro college high school that does not play an exhibition game yeah uh, prior to the to the season just so let, let yeah let's just start off week one and and enjoy <laughs> Yeah, that's I. I mean, everybody always wants a great week one schedule, and I do too. But yeah, if you're if I'm a coach, I want like the two easiest games on the schedule right out of the gates, so that I can figure out what I've got before easy, before going right in and maybe ending my national title hopes because I don't quite know what I have yet. What is that? By the way, on those lines, one of the things that gets talked about a lot is um, you know, okay, we have FCS games, and and I I love Jimbo Fisher's uh, comment um a few months ago, I guess, about how it's, you know, it's just part of the circle of life. The, the, the FCS teams need that money. They get that money with this payout and, and they usually lose and they, then they're able to pay their budgets and they'll sometimes pay a D2 school the same way. And it all kind of, it's one way the money gets to circulate, but are there, would there be a a benefit to, well, or or I guess, would it even be semi-realistic, I guess, to, basically have kind of a week zero game like the week before the season starts against an FCS team where you can can tinker and figure things out I guess they probably you wouldn't get as much money for that uh, if you're an FCS team but you would get a decent payout for that and that would not count as a game um I know they used to do that in the in in 50 best in the book I just uh put out uh, you know um Dartmouth Dartmouth just crushed Boston College a couple of times in like preseason scrimmages so I know it used to happen um, would there be a market for that? Would there be the money involved to make that worth it? And do you think that's something that might actually happen one day? Well, it, it, it would happen if TV decided to make it happen. It's probably the way that most – I know they don't ask me. But, uh, <laughs> well, even, you know, how exciting would it be if everybody's spring game, you know, yeah. somebody – you played another team and, and um, you know, and it wasn't a competitive game. And, you know, everybody agrees on the – you know, similar to what we know, we're all watching high school spring games right now on the recruiting trail and – you know, people will play a game, and then in the in the fourth quarter, they'll put the JV in and something like that. But, but what you know, you know, hey, you're the you're the Miami Hurricanes. You've got a, a new quarterback. How fun would it be to go, you know, see that quarterback play with you know against another team with people in the stands and 
and see how he responds. And you know, those I mean, those you know, those are uh, you know, I, I would have to imagine that that would be something that fans would enjoy enjoy watching. But uh, but like I said, they're not going to ask me my opinion on that. <laughs> well, and I guess too that just opens up more opportunity for injury if you've got this preseason game and then you've got twelve games after that. But you're, you would actually well, no, well, think about this: if you're playing a spring game, right? When Alabama's playing a spring game, who's playing on both sides? Alabama's playing Alabama. There's 22 Crimson yeah. <laughs> Tiders out there running around with all the chance to run into each other and hurt somebody. So if, if Alabama's playing, you know, UAB for their spring game, there's there's only 11 Alabamas out there at the same time. So you, you, in theory, you're you're actually cutting your your risk of injury in half. Uh, that's that's a fair point. Um, so you you talk you mentioned you know twenty years ago at FSU I know Mickey Andrews was a big influence um, who are, who have been either because you worked for them or just observed them and found yourself studying them a lot like who are some of your favorite defensive coordinators who are some of the people you think that uh, either just had it right or you had or you've been able to learn from them or, or or things of that nature yeah I mean certainly Coach Andrews and, and Chuck Amato at FSU um, were were great people for me to learn from. Reggie Herring came to NC State, and Reggie had been at Clemson for a long time, went to Arkansas. But uh, Re- Reggie Reggie came, that was the year we led the nation in defense at, at NC State, and he took a lot of the same principles that we had, had started with at FSU and, and, and sort of took it to another level, um, a lot of pressure and, and movement up front. And then Reggie went on really to work with Wade Phillips um, in the NFL, and, 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 you know, and even to this day, I mean, if you look at, what Denver, I think Denver the last two years, I think was a, a full yard on yards per pass attempt allowed better than the next team in the league, which is really a pretty remarkable. Um, so certainly watching him and again with the idea, you know, and, and, uh, and then, and then really if it just, if you're staying down the NFL road, you know, what Dick LeBeau did in, in Pittsburgh for so long. Um, and the idea of, of that you can, you, you can, you can bring pressure but still stay safe in your coverage and not expose yourself to, to giving up big plays while you're hunting negative plays all the while. Um, I think all those guys have had a tremendous knack for the ability to do that. I, yeah, I feel like I owe you royalties every time I mention Havoc rate, because I'm pretty sure I, the, the original idea of that also came from when we were initially talking or exchanging emails. Um, the the you know and I I think I it also kind of I remember back in the, like the late '80s when uh, Portland had the the hustle chart or the hustle something uh, on the, I guess part of their scoreboard uh, for Trailblazers games where they had like rebound steals and something else uh, you know and, and so I kind of but I think you you had a role to play in that in the idea of of just looking at a rate of of tackles for loss and passes defensed and force fumbles. Uh, and using that as, as as kind of a measure of aggressiveness or successful aggressiveness, I guess. But that does seem to be a big part of your game. And, and um, obviously the addition of, of, of Craig Kuligowski, who I became very familiar with here in Columbia, um, that seemed to be a pretty good match. Uh, that you guys seemed to, to, to find the same page when it comes to the defensive line play last year. Yeah, and, and, and of course I had always admired it from far away, you know, when I was in the SEC and would watch Missouri play. Um, because it, really, if, if you look at our defense uh, and where what it's at, at its core is the way that we play with our front. And, and everyone has always – there's always been a, a probably a misnomer that we blitz more than we actually do or that we, we, we stunt or move more than we actually do. But the reason why we get so many tackle for losses is the, is the reason – is the way that we play our front. And that goes right back to the way 
we played the front at Florida State in the late 90s, and, and, and sort of comically, that goes right back to the way that the University of Miami played their front when Jimmy Johnson came here, because yeah. just, you know, Florida State and, and Miami recruiting the same type of athletes, and Florida State watched the way that Miami's athletes were were you know were playing up front and said you know hell we got the same guys why don't we let them play the same way and that's really that's kind of when I arrived at the scene at FSU when they had already been having a lot of success doing that so in a way what happened here at the University of Miami is with with Coach Kuligowski and myself coming in here is we really just went back to the back to the you know, back to the future almost back to the past of of the way that Miami changed the way that that fronts played uh, in terms of getting defensive linemen up the field and 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 hunting the tiger for loss. Yeah, because um, you know, I'll I'll post the havoc rate on these uh, stat profiles and whatnot, but then I'll break it out by position too, and and that's tricky because it's just based on what how the how how somebody's listed in the, on the roster, and obviously there are a lot of flex guys who are kind of you know lineman and linebacker, linebacker and DB. But regardless, I think it tells a pretty clear picture. You guys were 19th in overall havoc rate, fourth on the defensive line, 90th linebacker, 89th uh, defensive back, and and so especially looking at just DL and and LB there, that that tells a pretty clear story about uh, where that pressure was coming from, and. Um, yeah, so, I mean, along those lines then, if you – obviously you would prefer to have just a, a defense full of elite guys, but if you – there's one position where you were absolutely tops in the country uh, and, and it would define your defense the most clearly, what, what would that uh, position unit be? Well, you could make an argument that if there was one position on an entire football team that could change your team uh, more than anything, it's, it's defensive line. If you, if you yeah. went into every game and had a decided advantage, a dominant, dominant – defensive line um that affects everything the offense tries to do everything whether if they want to try and run it it's much harder if they want to try and throw it um it's much harder which makes everyone that's playing behind them much better um and therefore that makes your offense better you know if, if you took any other position even if you said i'd rather have a dominant quarterback which would probably be second um even a dominant quarterback can't survive if he has if he has no skill around him they can't protect um, you can you can win a game, you can dominate a game, and, and where you where you see that example come up very often is in the NFL. I remember when the Tennessee Titans um, about ten years ago when they were kind of rolling for a little bit, and they had really sort of a, a nondescript football team, but they had an, they had one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, and and they, that gave them a chance in every game, and and uh, and certainly that's what we're you know trying to recruit to to get to here, where where you know you can really which again when people thought about. The University of Miami, um, back in their run of dominance, uh, and, and the, the great D tackles and DNs that came through here. That's really where it all started. Yeah, I just had the, um, yeah, the Indomitian Sioux effect is, is basically what I call that. Because I, I mean, that's probably the most, um, that 09 Nebraska defense is probably one of the most just terrifying that I've seen in person. And it was, uh, you know, they basically, it was one guy absolutely destroying the middle of the line and then, then them just running a dime and, and just throwing speed everywhere else on the field and taking advantage of the fact that it basically was taking three guys to at least somewhat neutralize. I just had to look up Nebraska's quarterback, uh, to your point, because I remember Sue, I remember Jared Crick being able to take advantage of a lot of Sue's issues, had no idea what, who the quarterback was. It was Zach Lee, by the way. But, um... No, I mean that's uh, once I've you know that 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 crystallized a lot of things for me just in terms of the the absolute importance. Obviously, seeing uh, Kuligowski's lines at Missouri was was interesting too. Although most of the the the, the elite level play was at end for for those lines, but no, I mean having watching Sue just completely destroy everything an offense was trying to do. That that '09 Big Twelve title game where. 
Um, you know, where, where Texas couldn't even move the ball. Uh, just an incredible thing once he got rolling. Yeah, I guess you could, Warren Sapp, uh, another example uh, of that. Nebraska couldn't move the ball until they wore Sapp out that one year. Um, what ninety? What ninety four? I guess. Um, all right, so uh, it is a college football marriage of numbers and words, and we haven't talked numbers yet, which is weird for me. But um, one of the things I've been trying to do this offseason is 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 kind of hop back on the Moneyball tra- train and, and try to figure some things out from a from a stat perspective. And um, I, I have a, a, my own answer about this, but I was going to ask you. So, from, especially when you've got a lot more analysts now, the big the big teams have a lot more analysts at their disposal. Technically, a lot more capability in this regard. What are some of the, the you know either just stats in general that should be tracked but aren't, or just, uh, you know, opportunities for advantage when it comes to taking av- I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it, but try to take advantage of inefficiencies uh, through some sort of, you know, analytical approach or, or whatnot. Uh, wh- where are some opportunities you think teams might have in that regard? First of all, first of all, I I just can't help but laugh when, when um, everybody mentions the, the term analyst. Like I, I just have this image in my head that, you know, that there's this, um, like, big room of, like, old 1978 computers with the tapes <laughs> spinning yeah. back and forth each other, and, and some guy comes running out of there with, like, a, a sheet of the old, like, uh, green-white striped, you know, with the Doc <laughs> Matrix printer or whatever, you know, hey, I found something. Skinny um, tie, wearing a skinny tie. And the, yeah. And the short, yeah. And another another guy that just, you know, had a Bunsen burner and something's bubbling up, and all of a sudden they, they, found, <laughs> they found something, you know. Um, well, the, the, the number one thing, and, I, the, you know, this is a battle that, you know, will be fought for a long time. But if uh, if anybody, if you can continue to run up the hill and try to wave the flag for using yards per play as a better metric than total yards, and uh, <laughs> you know, for for run defense, you know, for run offense, run run, you know, for anything really, because they, they, you know, some it is amazing how people still equate, you know, even 300 yards at, for total yards as a, you know. As, as some sort of benchmark when that was, that was blown through. Right. Um, no, you know, I, I think what, I think what we're all trying to figure out is what equates to winning. Right. Um, yeah. Tur- the turnovers equate to winning. Yes, of course, turnovers, but, but what are other things, um, uh, what are other things that we can try to find to, to make things happen? You know, we're, we're ultimately we're trying to prevent, you know, we're trying to prevent points and, and we're going to have what 12 to 14, drives that we have to stop it you know you can look at it like pitching like a baseball pitcher you've got you know like a 14 inning game we have to get 14 outs right um on any given game sometimes a little bit less but but you know it's going to be somewhere in that in that frame so what what can end a drive what you know what are things that correlate with ending drives without the ball being in the end zone and understanding that that you don't lose by getting up field goals you lose by getting up touchdowns um so what are all the things that that make touchdowns happen um and what are some things that you can tangibly tell the players to show it? So, like, for example, with a tackle for loss, um, this is where you, you, you already love something, and then, and then now you find numbers later in career to understand why. You know, how many – when you find out how many drives where there is a negative yardage play, therefore do not result in points. Yeah. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden that, that opens your eyes. Now you understand why you want a tackle for loss. It's not just – you know, something fun that you can you can put a notch on. <laughs> they're, they're drive killers. Negative plays are they're, they're drive killers. Uh, you know how important it is in the in the air, in the era now, especially of the of the fast tempo offense. How important stopping the first first down is. 
Um, and the key to stopping the first first down is stopping the first play of the drive. Yeah. Um, so, so the efficiency of, of winning the first play of the drive. You know, one of the things that was great in, in the Southeastern Conference, and I think our conference is, is very similar in the, in the ACC because we're not we, – you know, certainly we've, we've added some high-tempo spread teams in. Uh, I think the league is going that way, but it's still a little bit more it's – it's a highly competitive league. You don't see – you know, the, the, the games aren't 48 to 45 in our league generally. They're more, a little more cagey. You know, so field positions – Field, I'm sorry, field position and, and the value of that, but in terms of the value of that it related to the amount of three and outs. Yeah. So again, who goes three and out more? Because a three and out is is a killer in terms of, um, you know, if, if you have, if you receive the ball at the 20 or 25 and you don't achieve a first down, the other team is going to receive the ball somewhere. If, if it's a fair catch, they're still going to receive the ball somewhere around their 40 generally, uh, you know, and then you know what the numbers are in terms of how many times they right. expect to score a uh, touchdown from your 40 as opposed to your own 20. If you just got two first downs um, and punted the ball. Um, so to get the players to, to understand that, and, and, then, and then to me, what it really comes down to if you're talking about preventing points is, is explosive plays allowed um, and why do explosive plays, why are they allowed? You know, so for us, it's our, is it our self-scout? What, is it a coverage that's, that where it's happening? Is it a, is it a person that it's, that's causing it? Um, and then, and then if they don't score, I always say there's only two ways you can score a touchdown, right? From either far away or from in close. <laughs> so you, 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 you can make people not score touchdowns from far away by being a great tackling team and, and, and great effort to the football and being sound in your coverages. If, if you really are, are sound in your coverages and you tackle, um, it, it should be hard for people to score from far, far away. And then if they can't score from far away, the worst thing that could ever happen is that they drive it. Um, if they drive it, there's going to be some third downs. The worst defense in the world is still going to create put somebody in a third down situation. So you, you know you've got to you've got to be great in third down defense, and you've got to be able to affect the quarterback on third down. And even if you can't do that, then the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to get in your red zone. So um, I, I can't stand red zone scoring percentage as a stat. I think it's I think it's one of the worst stats ever. I think uh, if, if you hold if if we, if you hold everyone to a field goal every time they get down there, and don't and number, and then also by the way, don't let them get down there all that often. Um, you're you're going to be a national champion. Um, yeah, and, yeah, uh, I, I've and it's so easy to figure out the alternative for red zone scoring percentage. It drives me crazy that they that that like that's still the go to. I mean, I use like points per trip. I use the forty. You could do the same thing for the twenty, or just I mean, technically, if you don't want to figure out points per trip, at least do like touchdown percentage because yeah, you if you have fourteen drives. And they have scoring opportunities on seven of them, which is kind of scary. Uh, if they're only kicking field goals, they scored a touchdown beneath the national average, and you probably won the game. And so I, I, it drives me crazy that, that we haven't figured out. I, I was actually really excited because um, Fox has um, begun over the last couple of years. I'll take credit for it because, I mean, who the heck knows? I, I might as well because, you know, I can. But um, point, I think they actually use the 40, points per trip inside the 40 instead of simple red zone scoring. And uh, that made me very happy because it just that, – that's even more than, like, passing yards allowed. That one is just is self-inflicted when it comes to just choosing a bad stat and leaning, uh, leaning on it heavily. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, you're right that – um, first down efficiency, things of that nature are very, very, very important. And I think there's a, it's kind of descriptive versus prescriptive. Like after the game, you can say we forced four turnovers. Awesome. That was good. Um, but you can't just like the game plan isn't forced turnovers. 
the game plan is, you know, create opportunities where turnovers come. That's how you're looking at things. And that, that becomes a standard downs issue. Uh, it all becomes a standard downs issue, really. All the, all the big defensive plays are more d- big defensive plays uh, come on passing downs than standard downs. But how do you do that? How do you, like, what, what is the approach in terms of let's win first down? Let's create a, a negative play on first down. Um, like, what, how? how, how? That, that's obviously it's not the easiest thing in the world, but how do you go about it? How do you approach it? Well, sometimes it's, it's, it's as simple as just putting in an emphasis on it to your players. Um, it, it, it may go back to even the how, you know, I, I was mentioning earlier in terms of, you know, deployment where sometimes it's not even just tactically, it's, it's, it's the players understanding the importance. I, I, I know for a fact that red zone defenses, you know, and that, this goes back to the way I was taught by Mickey Andrews, you know, red, red zone defense and goal line defense is a mentality. You know, when someone gets down there close to your goal line, you know, a lot of times, you know, you know, I can, you can talk about well, this coverage stops that, and, and this stops that. But a lot of times, that just comes down to you, to the toughness of your of your team, the, the the mental fortitude of your football program. And I know those are all you know you know raw, old school coaching things to say, but they're still true. So so what, what I mean is, you can find the stats that'll expose the fact that maybe you were not good in red zone touchdown percentage, which means when people got down there, they they found it easy to get in. And what that's going to make us do as a coach is you're going to say, okay. Where, you know, let's look at our tactics, you know, where we're getting beat on something over and over again. Uh, let's look at our personnel. Can we not stop this because of this person? Or let's just look at, the, at the, 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 the energy that we played with. You know, what was our mentality? What was our mentality as coaches? You know, so what, what was happening to us down there that, you know, um, if, if you have a, if you have a, a variety of metrics, and, and, and I'd, I'd use us as an example last year the, uh, at Miami, Really, the majority of the ways that we sort of monitor our defense, we were really, really good at. You know, we were in the top 15, the top 20, and just about every stat we that we think that correlates to winning. Um, our third down defense was not. Our third down defense was 55th, 60th, somewhere in the country. Well, that doesn't make it right. So if we were 50th in everything, well, that, that we could say, well, yeah, our third down defense has to improve. But everything has to improve, right? So all of a sudden, here's an outlier. Why, why, why this? How, how come we can be, you know, so we, we had to look at, you know, at us as coaches and say, okay, what were we, you know, what was it this? Was it that? Was it, you know, because we had to shuffle this lineup midway through the year because of this injury? You know, you, you're, you're, it at least gives you um, uh, at least, at least a, a path to go down, you know, where it's not going to tell you the answer, but, but it, gives you, it gives you a place to, to, to go hunt uh, to, to try to find out how you can improve yourself. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm looking at you guys' numbers here too. Like, yeah, second in stuff rate. So I mean, that goes back to the major point of of negative plays on on first down, um, just being able to in, invade the backfield uh, pretty regularly, even if it resulted in big plays. Which are really, I mean, I guess they're, you know what I, the numbers I use: sixty second in rushing, uh, isolated points per play, uh, fourth in passing. So yeah, maybe some big runs here and there, but it, how many three and outs were were caused in the name of giving up a few big plays? So, um, <laughs> definitely seems to be something to that. Um, all right, so but, but but even but even from our metric in terms of the way that 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 we define giving up big runs and mm-hmm. you know in, in our in our run defense overall. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we, we feel like if on if on the year if we're holding people to three four per run, and that's still that's throwing sacks in there, that for the most part we're doing what we want. You know, especially considering right. you know some of you know 
some of the, the, the challenges we had a year ago. So, you, you know, what, what we find is that long plays, long touchdowns kill you. That, that, that is the absolute killer. Touchdown, touchdowns kill you. Uh, long plays are, are annoyances, but, but good tackling secondaries, you know, solve the mistakes sometimes of, of fronts that, that allows the run to go. But, but the premise is this. It is not an either-or scenario. It is not – there is no greater likelihood of getting up a long run because of the way that a front plays um, – because of the defensive linemen are attacking your reading, I think that's I think that's where there's a, there's a, there's a there's a misconception that it is either that that it is A or B, and you have to right. choose this sort of high risk high reward button or not, um, and that is absolutely not the case. You you, you know there, there's going to be on, on any given let's talk about the run game for example on every given running running play, almost everyone in America is going to deploy one more person to stop the run than the offense has to to block them. Um, and that's why people are getting into the run-pass conflict stuff now because they're trying to take advantage of that extra run defender to right. open up the run game. Um, so again, if there's if there's you know let's just use an as silly easy example. There's five off. Let's say it's a spread offense, four wideouts. So there's five offensive linemen. Well, if there's six defenders there, there's only there's only in essence five offensive linemen create six gaps. So there's six defenders who have that gap. The way in which those six people are deployed, whether you are going to be in a read posture, whether you're going to um, whatever you're, however, whether you're in three down front, the four down front, that's why a lot of times that's really not indicative of how you want to play as well. There's still six of us and, and five of them. Right. Now you can turn the quarterback into a runner, and that's what people have done, and that's what tries to balance up the numbers. But generally speaking, if you have one more than they have, and run running plays are are, are occurring, that's just a lack of execution, right? But, you know, somehow, some way, someone is not doing their job. Um, the way they're supposed to be. So I, I, again, I don't, I don't know that, um, and that's what's great about college football because if you look at the top rushing defenses in, in college football, there's all kinds of ways that people choose to stop the run out of all different kinds of fronts, uh, with all different kinds of personnel. But it ultimately just comes down to math and numbers. Yeah, I think Air Force had one of the best run defenses uh, this last year, and I mean. We, we know about their size limitations and all that. Yeah, I just looked up Miami's big play, like a po- opponent, long rushing plays. There were 21, 20-plus 20 rushes, which was middle of the pack, but two 40-plus rushes, which is obviously hard to top. So, um, yeah, the, the big plays weren't 60-yard touchdowns. They were 20-yard gains, you know, which, which you can usually live with at least. Um, so... All right, so one last question. You mentioned run-pass options again. That is the uh, the new buzz, so to speak. But defenses always evolve, and defenses always adapt to that. And then, you know, the offense has to find the next uh, the next uh, piece of evolution there. What is the evolution that kind of that, – that takes run-pass options uh, – not, not takes them away, but at least um, makes them less effective and, and makes the offense evolve further? Well, that's a fascinating question because – no, maybe maybe the evolution will come from the the officials and, and calling it. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, ah, that's a joke. We, we all know that'll never happen. Um, well, it, it, again, though, I'm going to go back to math because the way the game has evolved, um, everyone talks about that things are, are secular, um, but I don't know that we're ever going back because why wouldn't you um, have a run play and then all of a sudden if you've got a uh, you know, a box look that doesn't look advantageous to the offense. You know, we, you know, people have been throwing bubble screens for a long time, but now they've decided, well, let's just throw the ball down the field. Uh, boy, why wouldn't you? You know, because because now you have a chance to always be right. Uh, 
Um, and as a result, it goes back to the first thing I said in terms of what is offense and what offense is, is either the ability to, to, to create space by formation um, and attack the space, or it is to, to use your one to beat their one. And what they are essentially doing by having the defense to defend a run play and a pass play at the same time is you are really putting the onus on the fact that you've got to have guys that can cover. Because you can say, you know, whatever, whatever coverage you want to be playing, and again, is if, 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 if they've got a running play and, and three guys are going out for a pass, um, it, it, it's, it's pretty simple. You, you've got to have a guy covering all those guys. And pretty, pretty soon on defense, you run out of guys. Um, right. And so if, if your guy can't cover their guy, then you've got to, you know, devote, you know, you gotta, if you got to put two guys over there, if you got to play, you know, play a cover two structure to, you know, over on one wide receiver, at some point there's going to be a one-on-one, and it's going to come down to winning the one-on-one. So I think, if anything, I think what, what, what does go back to full circle is, and I think what wins now in college football is the basics. I think tackling wins in college football. <laughs> yeah. because, because now you can throw – it is really hard if an offense wants to throw the ball five yards down the field. It is practically impossible to stop because whether you're going – unless you're just absolutely more physically dominant at every at every defending position than the, the receiver because you can't be inside and outside of a guy. No matter how talented you are, if you line up outside of me and if I break off an inside slant, that's very hard to defend. And if you line up inside to take that away and I break a little three-yard speed out, that's very hard to defend. Now you may tackle it for four yards – but that, in essence, is their run game. Right. So, so it's really hard to be inside and outside. Now, the, the, the issue is, is an offense patient enough to keep running four or five-yard pass plays down the field, or do they, do they lose patience? And sometimes that's what happens, and that's what helps you get a stop. Um, the key to, what, to that scenario I just described is, is that you have to tackle that guy because what you're seeing now more and more is somebody – it might be a running play called someone does throw that five-yard route. The corner who – Maybe in high school, you know, was a great cover corner, but now all of a sudden he can't tackle that guy, and now you've got a big problem um, because now a five-yard pass play just turned into a uh, 20, 30, 50-yard gain, and that's what gets you on defense. And now the offense has the momentum. They get the tempo going, and that's, that's where you get on your heels. So I think, I think the, 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 the fundamentals of, of leveraging the football and, and tackling it are more important now than ever, and I still think no matter what, it's, there, there's still the idea that more bad things can happen when you throw the ball than when you can run it. And if, and if a team can run the ball when they want to, then um, it, it's going to be really hard to stop with what people are doing in the throwing game. So that's really where it begins. Yeah, and that's um, you mentioned. You were talking about red zone being a mentality earlier. I did a piece for Athlon this year about it. They know I hate fade routes, uh, and so they asked me to write a piece about you know why is everybody throwing fade routes in the red zone and whatnot. But, but um, so I talked to some really good red zone offensive coordinators for the piece, and basically they all had you know like well we'll we'll do the fade in this instance, but we also do this, and then they basically stop themselves and I go but but let's be clear. Uh, we want to be able to run the ball in the red zone, and if we can, nothing else matters. Um, and, and I mean, I think yeah, it, it still goes back to that as much as anything. But you mentioned tackling, so it seems like any sort of safety measure that that we're that we work toward right now with college fo- with football in general, um, you know, less contact and uh, you know, in theory, less less opportunities to learn how to tackle properly. Um, does does has there been kind of a, a a de-evolution so to speak in terms of tackling of the last few years or is that kind of overblown uh well it it's 
I think tackling has looked worse in college football over the last 10 years once the game spread out. Yeah. You know, every, everyone's if, if 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 we line up everybody in a in a you know two tight end two back set and run the ball up the middle and there's there's 10 defenders around it. Um, it's a lot easier to tackle in a phone booth, of course, than to tackle in space, right? So what's happened now is that um, the ball is out in space a lot more often, which it gives a chance for a lot more missed tackles. There's no doubt that that the proliferation of seven on sevens and and there's a lot of things in the game where where defensive backs, are, are, you know, defensive backs were is really the that's ground zero for tackling in college football right now because they're the ones that have to make the hardest plays. Um, I know what has changed us both from a safety procedure and also as a tackling procedure is, is uh, three years ago at Louisiana Tech, we were sitting in our little office, and because we do it, we do get the internet in, in Ruston, and, <laughs> and we, we watched the uh, the video that Pete Carroll put out, and, and I, I think Pete Carroll, I, I think hopefully he'll go down as a guy that did. This video may do more for this game's future than anything else because he he for no really with no incentive, competitively other than just for the game that that he loves put out the video on how they teach tackling and the, the rugby leverage shoulder style of tackling. And, um, and we sat there as a defensive staff and we're like, man, some of this stuff goes against the way that, you know, you were taught how to tackle from, you know, from peewee football. Um, but it, it takes the head out of the tackle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but furthermore, it, it's actually more sound in terms of the way the defense is played because of, 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 of keeping leverage of the football, which means keeping the ball on your inside pad at all times. And um, we went to it, um, and, and obviously played really good defense at Louisiana Tech. We went to it last year at Mississippi State. We weren't quite as good on defense, but we tackled the, the ball very well. Um, again, uh, played really good red zone defense and did, didn't give up a, a bunch of long plays. Uh, and then we and we brought it here to Miami this past year and and have had so much success. So we've we've been tackling this style for three years. Um, there's been a there's there's no doubt that there is a, a tangible difference in the safety of the players, and I think the players they see that and and they respect that. Um, it's something that we can tack that we can practice every day in in a drill uh, setting um, and get the feel of what it's like tackling people to the ground. The the, the the number one premise is you have to wrap. Um, which where most bad tackling occurs is that people are not using their arms and they're, they're not wrapping up. Um, and it just changes the whole mentality, changes the whole mentality of, of all the things we don't want to see in the game, of, of, of using the body as a, as a projectile or as a, as, a, as a weapon, as a missile, uh, and gets back to targeting players a little bit lower and, and wrapping guys up around, around their thighs. And, and, um, and this past year, the secondary here at you know, Corn Elder, uh, who was – you know, an average at best tackler in the year before we got here. Just he just put 13 games of some of the best tackling I've ever seen from a cornerback, <laughs> ever. And and it really helped him with the NFL and and everything beyond. And our secondary tackled, they they were amazing last year. And once, and, and I don't mean just like getting guys on the ground. Like we were picking people up and and it was like WWE out there. It was, it was really <laughs> remarkable. And once one guy did it, they all wanted to be the next guy that did it. But it was all sound and it was all safe. So. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. It's something that I preach anytime I get at, at coaching clinics because I think we can I think we can play the sport for a long time, um, and still, like Pete Carroll says, I think it can still be a it can still have the violence that we all enjoy, but it, but it can be smart. It can still be something that's not for everybody because that's that's why we respect the guys that cross that line. Um, but at the same time, I think we can do it to the point where uh, we're looking we're looking after their livelihood and 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 can and that where they can play it for a long time.
Yeah, I do think um, a lot of the, the changes in terms of pure safety, I think a lot of the changes that have been made uh, are good ones and will have an effect. The, the tricky part with, with anything safety related with college, with football is that it takes 40 years to know for sure if the changes were, 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 uh, were good enough uh, to, to, you know, kind of keep the sport healthy enough to keep playing it basically. And so that, that just becomes a tricky thing because I mean, the biggest thing right now is all the former pros uh, and, and discovering CTE with them. Well, that that's long after they stopped playing. So any sort of tweaks you make now, it's going to be hard to know for sure that, that they were the proper ones. And that, that makes it tricky. That makes it a very dicey situation, but um, I, I don't see football uh, dying anytime soon. So I think we're probably well, okay there. You can only make the best decisions based on the information you have available yeah. at the time. You have to make it, you know, I mean, there were, there were, you know, pregnant women smoking in, in hospitals, <laughs> you know, 50 years ago. Right. So yeah. we're, we're, you know, but, but what's important is that, is that we try, you know, and what's important is that what, what we know at any given time, um, we do the best we can with that information. Um, all right, so with the remaining time here, I, this is PAPN, and we have our little pet topics. I thought I'd run a couple by you here just so that you were you were an official guest host for PAPN. Um, so first one, I, I was yelling about this on Twitter yesterday. We end up yelling about this like once a month. But um, somebody, who was it? It was Pat Dye on the Feinbaum show talking about how Auburn needs to move to the SEC East and Missouri needs to move to the West and all this. Um this comes up a lot, and you know, as somebody who lives in Missouri, I always like to point out that because Missouri's in the East, they actually have three division rivals they border, and if you move to the West, which seems like it makes more geographic sense, uh, then you only have one, and, and the long trips are still long, so it doesn't really benefit, but the, the, point, the main point I have, and we, we talked about this on SBN a lot last year, the, the idea of divisions as a whole is completely and totally um, obscure and, and unnecessary now. Because most teams, and you can find some examples like Tennessee or maybe LSU, have more than three real rivals that they need to be playing every single year. And if you create a pod situation where you've got three permanent rivals and then you rotate it for a 14-team conference, it works perfectly uh, because basically you play, if you're playing an eight-game conference schedule, you play your three rivals, you play five teams, you play the other five the next year, and you've played everybody in your conference within two years as opposed to like, um, who was it, like A&M and uh, Georgia or somebody like that. There, there, you know, there are SEC matchups that won't have had a full home-and-home until like 2037. Um, you feel like a conference if you have pods and you're playing everybody. The only drawback anybody's ever told me about this is that, in theory, then you could have like a three-way tie for seven and one uh, for the conference title game, where you know the top two teams make the title game. Uh, you have a three-way tie without a really good tiebreaker, and that would tick people off. That seems worth it to me, though, if you solve a lot of other problems and you have that one to worry about. So, really, what you're saying is you're gonna, you are on one hand, you have the ability to be a true league where everybody plays everybody every other year, which, which yeah. that's a fair point, but you would be giving up the potential for always finding out who the best two teams are. Cause there would be a further problem. The further problem is that you could also have a team that's, you could have one team that's eight and no two teams that are seven and one. You could have an argument that the two teams that are seven and one are better than the team that's eight. No, because of um, how the scheduling worked out based off of who played who and what pod and then what their non-conference, you know, what their non-pod games were that year. So, right. um, 
I would, I, you know, I, I, I enjoy the idea of teams playing each other more often in a league. There's no doubt that, you know, when, when you're in a league with somebody and you play them one out of six years, it doesn't really feel like you're in a league with them. Um, but th- those people, people yell and scream really loud at the end of the year about uh, <laughs> who, who gets to play these championship games. And, and I think the ability, at least the division does create the ability to have, you know, no, no one's going to, you know, theoretically no one should argue over who the East or West champion is in its current state of affairs. So I think for right now, unfortunately, that's just sort of the, the necessary evil. Yeah, I just kind of hate that, like, um, you know, Miami's in the Coastal, and, and technically anybody in the Coastal except maybe Virginia, although they did make a good hire. Um, within these last few years, anybody in the Coastal has been able to say, you know, they were within a game of the, of the division title they were able to compete for. Meanwhile, if you're NC State or Syracuse or Boston College or Wake Forest, you're just you're toast until, uh, you know, Jimbo or Dabo either – both have a bad year at the same time, which doesn't seem very likely, or, or they retire or they change jobs or whatever. And, and so like the, the ACC divisions uh, are kind of always my go-to in that it was kind of, it was random how they were put together. It was, it's not even a geographic thing, but if you're in the coastal, you're great. And you can talk yourself into competing every year. If you're NC state, you're talking about like hoping to go five and three and like eight and four or nine and three overall. And it just seems kind of unfair that it was a random decision and they're totally, they have a, a much lower ceiling. So that's, I think part of where I was coming from, but there is, and to like, because everything is, is based on, on the college football playoff. Now you could pretty easily say, you know, the tiebreaker for the title game uh, in, in a tie at the top is, you know, who's, you know, who's closer to the playoff, who, you know, who are the top two teams uh, in the playoff rankings. There is a doom scenario, however, where, it's like one versus like where you're, you have a three-way tie and your playoff teams or your playoff ranks are like one, four, and five. So four plays one and loses, therefore five makes the playoff. Um, chances are people would be a little annoyed with that, and, and uh, there might be a little chances outcry. Are, chances are a little outcry. It, it, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to get a little outcry in this yeah. case, so. <laughs> But yeah, I still, I still, I, I, I think, you know, you're trading some problems for other problems. I, I think it would solve a lot. I, I'm still team pods all the way, I think. But, um, and then uh, another question, a PAPN specific topic that I definitely wanted to run by you. I mean, you were at Louisiana Tech, you were at Middle Tennessee. Um, it, we, we all seem to agree that the, the top level of college football, the power conferences and whatnot, are in terms of arm race, in terms of arms race, excuse me, in terms of uh, the of analysts and all those other things, the spending from the power conference is starting to even further distance itself from everybody else. Now you can still create good teams at the at the G five level, but unless we get like an eight team playoff one day where there's a G five representative, there's almost no path for half of FBS to win the FBS title uh, the way things currently stand. Um, I can't advocate for an 18 playoff if we, if, with, you know, it's, you know, Ben Bulware from Clemson saying, you know, I would literally die if I had to play another game. I think he was probably exaggerating there, but it's already taxing to, to go through a 14 playoff. But what, what happens here? What, what, what is the future of, of the G5, so to speak? And, and is there a way to, to make sure that there's still a path that, you know, I, and I'm monologuing now. I have a guest host and I'm monologuing, but um, I always more teams at the FBS level means more 85 scholarship teams, which means more scholarships for kids to play football. And that's always a, like total scholarships is always a big thing for me. 
but they're not really FBS if they can't even if they can't. There's no path for them to win the FBS title. Correct. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's a fair statement. Even though I think the argument would be that there is a path. Um, it, you know, albeit it might be narrow, but but it it, it would exist. Um, it would certainly be you know you know I think one thing it would certainly be great fun if there was a G five playoff at the end of the year. Um, certainly, one of the things that happens in those leagues is that is that there can be a team. Um, there there are teams in, in, in that level that have um, dr- dramatic advantages uh, as compared to the other teams in their conferences. Um, where they can be set up for success, you know. You know the issue is how many times a week can you be beaten? You know, if, if you just if you just play if you play an average game, how many times during the course of the year do you have a chance to to lose a game? And um, there are some schools at, at at that level that you know if they play average, they're, they're going to win a lot of games. And that that really is what should define the grind if we're going to say, oh, hey, listen, we're not going to have a, a, an extended playoff. We're going to make the regular season is the thing that matters in college football, and that's why we all love it. Well, you would like to have the ability to say, well, how many times week, how many times week in, week, week out does this team have to play well to, right. you know, to, 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 to win? You know, and I mean, if you look at Clemson last year, our national champion who, you know, lost to uh, Pitt, you know, really basically should have lost to, to North Carolina State. So, um, that meant that you have to play. They're in a league where they have to play well on any given week to, to try to win their games, and um, that would be a, in a way that, that that's sort and that's sort of the danger a little bit because if 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 it, it could almost sometimes be too easy for those teams to get in the playoffs because it is not hard to play well every now and every now and then. It is really hard in college football to play well every week, um, and ultimately that's what you're that's what you're judged by. As we we're talking about earlier with with playing a short season, so. Um, you know, I, I see it both ways. Uh, you know, there's there's no doubt it's it's unfair to not have teams have a, a seat at the table, and it would be fun to see, you know, you know, to judge yourself based off of who who has the same resources that you have at that level. Um, but uh, but but for right now, I don't I don't know I don't know where the impetus of change would come from. Yeah, and of course, the answer to all to all of college football problems uh, is is promotion or relegation, naturally. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ride that. I'm, I'm the front car of that bandwagon. I will remain in the front car of that bandwagon for all time. But yeah, that solves all your problems. Ever, you know, Houston get, ends up in the Big Twelve, and they get a chance to to make the playoff that way. Um, and I, I, really, I brought. I, I'm proud of myself because we made it an hour, and I haven't brought up soccer yet. That was really, you know, we're, you're, I think you're the only coach I've ever talked soccer with. So um, hey, I'm, I'm I'm still basking in the glow of Newcastle's promotion back up to the Premier League. So <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that didn't take long. That was. Um, who's, and I have my, uh, my Sheffield Wednesday this afternoon. I got to find an illegal stream of that to watch them against, uh, against Huddersfield. But no, I, I mean, so I understand all the, 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 the institutional pushback for relegation, but man, it would just, it would so, it, so much meritocracy without naming any individual teams. Uh, my line is always that so many, so many power conference teams are power, power conference teams because of the friends they had in like 1932, and um, not necessarily anything they've done since, but the fact that Boise could almost be the best team in the country a few years ago and just geographically and historically have no chance to end up in a power conference just drives me crazy. And I wish there was a way to, um, to, to fix that. And, and relegation is the only thing I can think of. And obviously that's something that's never going to happen because it would require a lot of people with a lot of vested interest in the current system to agree to it. So, 
Well, could you imagine what would happen? Could you imagine what would happen now at the end of the year? I mean, that's what I'm saying. If it's as if the college football season isn't as dramatic because of the, you know, again, we keep talking about the short number of games. So now, can you imagine um, Virginia playing Virginia Tech in a game that's always important? But now Virginia Tech has a chance to send Virginia to the yeah. Conference USA or whatever, you know, on on that day. I mean, that's. That would that it would literally blow. I think everyone's mind. Uh, yeah, I mean that's so. that's at this point in the Premier League season. That's that's always the you know there's the drama of who's going to win. Although clearly that wasn't drama this year or last year really. But um, there's always that like random sixteen versus eighteen game late in the season that is the most tense and dramatic game. And it's two terrible teams that that were never going to be title contenders, but it ends up being this dramatic scene. That's you know we always one of the ways to do it is have like a, a playoff game between you know the last place team in the ACC and the first place team in whatever conference USA or, or AAC or whatever. Um, that game would be so tense. You're playing for a spot in the ACC next year, and um, man, I'm all for it. But you know, I, well, I even, understand even, that it's even, my. It, you could even see it throw a wrench into you know, the playoff, because, I mean, you could have somebody, um, you know, you could have somebody who's entering into the, you know, who, who in theory has a shot to win their conference playing the playoff. And then, you know, late, late November, they're playing someone who is in last place and, and they, they see the writing on Death the wall. Sprint. And again, you're going to, yeah, you're going to get something, you're going to get a different, there's no doubt you're going to get a different effort. You see it again, if you watch, if you watch the European leagues, you're going to get a different effort from the teams that, that have the trap door uh, underneath them. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I will I will go to my grave thinking that that would have been an amazing thing for college football. But anyway, well, I appreciate it here. Um, I, I thought this would be fun for, for listeners. Uh, I have referenced the uh, quote-unquote uh, college football offense thing many times, so uh, I appreciate you coming on, and I appreciate uh, whatever your uh, ut.edu email address was five years ago. I appreciate that I was able to find that and that you responded. That, that was a good thing, too. Well, fantastic! Yeah, but this has been this has been a fun time. I have to get you a new quote that you can reference. That one. That's right. Out, yeah. Out, we'll have outdated. To here. Yeah. We'll transcribe this. Maybe there was one in there uh, that we can make the new one, and I can lean on that. But anyway, all right. Well, uh, PAPN uh, P- listeners, you will have Godfrey back next week. I hope this was a worthwhile uh, journey into uh, other ho- guest hosts and whatnot, and and we'll get back to normal schedule next week. Um, Manny, I appreciate it, and and good luck this fall. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate your time.